From your local Houston BMW Center Studios, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world, presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. I'm your host, KG Smooth. Very excited to have on the line a veteran music industry executive who is (laughs) responsible for your favorite artists that you love, like Mary J. Blige and... Jay-Z and Kanye West. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Vinnie Poe to the Public Affairs Podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Good. We are so glad to have you here, man. You, um, quite an extensive career here in the music industry. Um, man, tell us how you got in the game and what made you want to be in the music business? Because... I know that it was a different time uh, when you first got in the game. Not as many um, <laughs> games, if you will, or restrictions were being played back then uh, versus how the industry is now. Uh, but what was it that made you want to get into the music industry, the music business? So it's it's a it's a fast and quick story, but it's an impactful story. When I was a in college. Um, I was doing stand-up comedy, and a young woman identified me at the end of the show who actually booked me um, for for the performance, and she asked me if I wanted to be, you know, our intern, what I was doing. And then at that time, where we come from, I didn't know what an intern was, but being a consummate salesperson, I told her, yeah, I'll be your intern. And um, prior to that, I'd sold cutlery door-to-door. I'd uh, sold fax machines. I'd uh, worked for Citibank selling their financial products. So sales was was my knack. So when I got down to Motown, you know, I came in what I was always accustomed to wearing, my three-piece suit uh, I had on wingtips and an anti-shade case. But, you know, think of what the music companies were then and now, or equivalent to what tech companies are. Everybody was, you know, dressed cool and and uh, they must have either thought I was the FBI or on the wrong floor. But, um, Men in black. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And um, so I got into got into the work and the meat of it all and, and realized that, uh, you know, the opportunity that was in front of me um, in the business perspective was something that I wanted to do. So that was my entree and my foot into the business of music. And was there any, um, did you have any preconceived notions um, going into uh, the music industry? Like, you know, you were thinking it was one way, but then once you got in and, 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 your, and your feet got settled and then, you, you know, you realized, you know, some things, what were, were there any culture shocks, if you will, for, um, for you getting into the game? So for me, I, I came in a clean slate because I never had any aspirations on getting in the business. So okay. I just, my Ackerman, my Ackerman looked at, you know, the product, music being a non-traditional product, but something I could sell and promote and falling in love with being able to make, take somebody from nobody in 12 weeks. You know, that was a cycle that people really could be, you know, go to stardom. Um, it had, you know, the radio um, caught their record was a phenomenal rush kind of thing because most brand products don't turn around that fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the music business, you can actually become a star in a nanosecond, right? Or yeah. you can become extremely popular in a nanosecond. So for me, I just came in from the lens that I've 
always operated. And that's what made me unique in the space is that, you know, I would, I didn't have the glitters of, of, of the trappings and the things that, you know, most people wanted to get in the business for. Wow. So you just released uh, your first memoir, uh, which came out uh, Tuesday, uh, this past Tuesday called on impact life leadership and betting on yourself. And I, I love the title and I especially love um, the end of the, of, of the sub, the betting on yourself. Uh, because for me, um, you know, I've, I've had my spiritual awakening and I'm on, you know, this journey. And when I tell my story or when I think back on like, when did the change begin? I honestly thought it was when I, you know, did a self-care day down at the beach and, you know, swam in the ocean. And then this, you know, just this tingly feeling came over my body. I felt like I was getting connected back with the earth and I was just, you know, just so happy and pure D bliss. But then as I kept looking at my story and thinking that that was the beginning, that wasn't it. It was actually when I put everything on the line here at Magic 102, um, because I, w- I did two seasons of this reality show called Ready to Love. And during that first season, um, you know, corporate, and I, and, and I love the people here at Radio 1, but they were dragging their feet and not giving me, you know, the proper paperwork that I needed and time was ticking. And so, you know, me, me and my great friend uh, and boss, Terry Thomas, you know, we're, we're going at it back and forth. And she's like, you know, Kay, you know, uh, corporate, they still could say no. And I said, you know what, T? Well, if they do, I'm going to go ahead and resign my position uh, doing a quiet storm. And I'm going to go on and do this show because I know the opportunities that are going to come of this. And then um, my, my other brother and friend, uh, Kiati, he had told me he was like, you know what, KG, what it was for me, for you, it was when you bet on yourself and you put everything on the line because you believed in you and you knew what would happen when you would go off to film this show. And I never thought about it like that. And that hit me in the face so hard. And I was like, yeah, that is when it started. When I believed and I bet it on myself, then, bro, Benny, the floodgates began to open. So I... I love this title because people are looking outside of themselves and looking everywhere else for the answers instead of just sitting down, going deep within, because you got all the answers. And when you bet on yourself, you are going to win. What was the inspiration for writing this memoir? Well, I was in a near-death car accident where I hit a tree at 90 miles an hour. I was the passenger and um, literally... Uh, sustained a level two concussions when you black out between one and five minutes, L3, L4 vertebrae fracture, bulging disc in my back, lacerated liver that led me to lose half my blood supply. And we hit the tree so hard that it severed two feet of my small intestine. And in that moment, God put a book inside of me called On Impact. And Impact Mm -hmm. is an acronym which stands for intuition, mastery, pivot, authenticity, connection, and teamwork, Mm -hmm. which are pillars that I live by and subscribe by. And at the end of each chapter, I put together what are takeaways, which I call a hit list. So pretty much for people to now have um, direction on how they can apply, you know, uh, elements from the book to them, to to their day-to-day practice. And for me, I feel that I can do this because I've um, gone from intern 
to CEO. So I can meet any and everyone at their level. Mm-hmm. And realizing when I was in corporate that I'd made companies, you know, at least the artists that I've signed, I signed Future, I signed Yo Gotti, I signed Cash Out. You know, I've been a part of, you know, uh, in the world's careers and working their radio hits. I've migrated or generated a billion dollars revenue. Minimum. I didn't get 10% of that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't get 1% of that. Or maybe I did, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. most importantly, I realized that for me, um, able to talent, so executives, that you know what I need to go and and take take that chance and faith and and move move in the direction that's best for me and my family. So that's when I decided to step out and create this whole narrative and also get the word to people like, guess what? Um, if Benny can do it, I can do it too. Which is also second. Um, you know, the book being the literal version, but I'm also launching um, uh, a conference in Charlotte, which is uh, It's Your Time Conference, which will be taking place MLK Weekend um, in Charlotte 2023, 14th and 15th. And what that has done um, is an extension of continuing to bet on yourself is, you know, what I've realized, because I've been in multiple different businesses, I started a real estate business, which I've owned over 130 doors. Um, I've done, uh, you know, equity stuff that I've I've done um, okay with. And what I've felt being in the music business is that artists, entrepreneurs, and business people, sometimes you can be around, but you just don't get the information on how to move forward. So I've put together a plan for people now to have an opportunity to learn and grow in a musical kind of environment. So I'll have two days of auditions, Thursday, Friday. That Saturday we'll have you know, panels from some of the biggest uh, music executives and, and local entrepreneurs. And um, we also have at the end of, of, of the uh, conference a grand finale, which we're going to give an artist $10,000 to better themselves. Oh, wow. Like... That's big, bro. <laughs> like that's really, really big. I mean, yeah, yeah. So to all the artists listening, um, what were those dates again? It's uh, fourteen, fifteen, Charlotte, North Carolina, and you can go to the website. It's your time dot. It's your time conference dot com. It's your time conference dot com. You're listening to the Public Affairs mm-hmm. Podcast. We're talking to. Benny Poe, the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men in Metropolitan Houston. Um, this 30-year career, you know, that you have in the industry, you've seen all of all of the changes, bro. Um, how do you currently feel about the current state of music and the music business? I think it's vibrant. Um, you know, it's great for it's great for people who are in in the business of music and it's great for artists and why i say that is artists have never had the opportunity to have as much control over their careers because there aren't any gatekeepers that they can't get to from an uh, uh consumer standpoint uh, to a visibility standpoint to a marketing standpoint but also too for the of it um the record companies have made you know handsome profits with the streaming um uh, component of what's now taking place. So, I mean, it's been a win-win um, for people who are very interested and focused on the business. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the book um, because you you talk about the importance of 
tapping into intuition and and faith um, to make it through. Uh, just touch on that because there's some people listening, as I mentioned earlier, that look everywhere else. It's instead of inside of themselves for uh, for the answer. Can you just talk about tapping into your intuition and faith to make it through? I realized when I was looking approaching that tree at at the high speed. Um, you know, the first thing that came to me was that, um, you know, I'd seen my entire family over the last week, um, celebrated my father's 70th birthday, spent time with my sister and her boys, dropped my son off at boarding school. Um, my wife and daughter were actually standing in the yard when we pulled off. So when I was pulling out of the driveway, I realized when we, I was driving in the car as the passenger that, um, and realize that uh, this this situation pretty much uh, may not come to you know a happy ending. I did what we were always disciplined to do from my, what my mother taught us was to speak to God. And um, I realized I, I said, Lord, um, I guess I'm not going to see my family anymore because my wife and daughter were literally standing in the yard. My son, he we had just dropped him off at boarding school. I spent time with my sister and my father and my mother. Um, a day prior. Second thing I said to God, because you start de dealing with mortality, your mortality is, Lord, I guess I'm going to see you soon because a car moving at high speeds, obviously at this state, um, this can't end pretty. And the third thing, I got mad with God because I realized that um, I may not have any more celebrations. Um, who's going to pour wisdom into my, into my children? Um, who's going to take care of my mother? And at that point, the value of understanding that, you know, when it all comes down to your mortality and it all comes down to you and it all comes down to your intuition and it comes down to every aspect of your life, it's only you and God when it's all said and done. Mom, my influence couldn't save me at that moment. Finances couldn't save me at that, mon at that moment. Anyone I knew of <laughs> couldn't save me at that moment. So... It's, it's very intuitive for you to understand that every day it starts with you in order to help anyone else. And from that moment on, like, what did you learn from that? Was it, were, were, did, did you have uh, an awakening, uh, a higher level of consciousness, uh, any of that? Exactly. And I've evolved to be where I am today. Um, the, the, uh, Accident was that crash that started the pivot, that started moving me in the direction to lead me to the point where now that I'm betting on myself and I'm betting on my faith and I'm okay with whatever the outcome is. Yeah, yeah, that's dope. Uh, let's talk about your new company that you done started, Diverse Media, and I like how you spelled it, just D-verse Media. Um, what's that all about, my guy? Hey, listen, we, you know, we're doing a lot of different things. Um, obviously, the conference falls under that. Putting out books fall under that. I have a new artist. Uh, her name is Paris Gatlin. She has a release that's coming out that falls under that. So we're a multi-tiered corporate um, um, entertainment company, media company that, um, you know, we're touching and moving a lot of different things. For sure. Man, Benny Poe, the author of On Impact, Life, Leadership, and betting on yourself available now. People can get the book everywhere. Barnes and Nobles on Amazon, wherever they books a million, wherever everywhere. Wherever. They should go.
go to Amazon right now. They can come to my website at BennyPugh.com. They can go anywhere and get the book because, you know what, we wanted to make it available to everyone wherever they're at. Benny Pugh, what, what, what you, and before we go, what, what is it that you hope that people will uh, walk away from or take away from on impact, life, leadership, and betting on yourself? If I can do what you can do it too, because where I started wasn't pretty, and, and where I'm going will be pretty. <laughs> so, so, so there we have it. Record executive, veteran record executive, Benny Pugh. On Impact, Life Leadership and Betting on Yourself available everywhere. We look forward to the conference, my guy. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And for those of you listening to the podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston, we'll be back after this. From your local Houston BMW Center Studios, welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world, presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. I'm your host, KG Smooth. Welcoming back on the program, he is Officer Friendly, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Officer Jeremy Lehar. How's it been, my guy? Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks, Thanks again for having me on. I appreciate it. I've been good. Good, good. Everything, um, I I think the last time you were on, it was either last year or earlier this year. Um, when when did the book drop? It was last October. Last, last October, uh, wow. yes, sir. It's been a whole year. Wow. Mm-hmm. Went by fast, didn't it? It sure did. I mean, time is just speeding by, but, you know. We ain't got a lot of time, but I ain't going to get into that right now. But uh, <laughs> For those who um, m- maybe they missed uh, the episode last year um, when you were on, you, you, you dropped your book, uh, Officer Friendly. And um, just for the folks, just for the people who may not know, you know, to, tell us about Officer Jeremy Lehar. Just give us a, a, a brief bio. Okay. Okay. I appreciate it, man. Um, well, yeah, I'm a, a sergeant with the Houston Police Department, man. I've been um, employed by them since 2011 and uh, did my patrol time on the Southwest and then had the, the opportunity to go to public affairs. And really, that's where I kind of got to spread my wings and, and, you know, do what I love. And that's get out in the community, talk to kids, do public speaking engagement. And uh, I've since promoted and gotten back there. But and the process of promotion is when I finished the book. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, it came out in uh, October of last year. And that was the first book in the series. And that one focused on, uh, the relationship between kids, uh, black and brown kids to be exact, man, kids, minority kids and law enforcement. Yeah. And how it's been successful. Yes. Yeah. I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. We're blessed between myself and, and my illustrator who's a former uh, HPD officer. Now he's a teacher. He's an art teacher now. Yeah. Um, so with the book, though, um, it, it, tell us who Officer Friendly is. Because I know we got we got a lot of parents that are listening. And, you know, if, if you are on social media, you know, for whatever reasons, individuals, certain blog sites, they just... They just love to post things that, you know, involves law enforcement and kids or just law enforcement and people. Um, So tell us about Officer Friendly, the book. 
Um, well, the book uh, was created because I saw a void. Um, you know, me reading to my kids, uh, I realized that there really wasn't a book available that gave them minority representation in law enforcement in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also came from me working like security jobs or being out in the public in uniform and having a parent, you know, walk up to me and say, hey, to their child, if you don't listen, that officer's going to take you to jail. And so I'll pull the parent to the side and, you know, respectfully say, please don't do that because if you go over on aisle three and have a medical episode, you know, your child's going to be too afraid to come over here and ask for help. And that's what, that's what I'm here for. And that's what, you know, ultimately that's what the job is about. So I want to give kids representation, um, somebody that they can identify with. You know, the book is not to turn all kids into police officers, but it's just to give them representation in every profession. And, and, you know, talk about how I was afraid of the police growing up on the side of town that I grew up on and how I grew up to become a police officer. And, and now, you know, um, the character goes out and interacts with kids and teaches them about, you know, different safety issues that people say. I'm glad you mentioned that. Talk, to talk about that, your experience growing up and having interactions with uh, the officers and then you turning into one. What, what, what's that story? Um, well, I grew up on the north side of Houston, man, in Studiwood, uh, if you're familiar with that area. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the only time that I would see the police is when they were coming and, you know, taking people to jail. Uh, we had a couple of them that came to the classroom for D.A.R.E. to teach us about that, which has now come back, which I think is awesome. Uh, but for the most part, man, I didn't have anybody come that looked like me to, to speak to us, you know, and let us know that people from that, that, that neighborhood can go into law enforcement. And so growing up, I never wanted to go into law enforcement. I actually was a communications major and was on a radio and football scholarship out of state. And then when I came home, um, went into education, got my teacher certification, but couldn't find a job. Worked at a school, Acres Homes, and found my love for working with youth. And then ended up joining the police department in 2011, and it all kind of came full circle where I could work with kids, uh, help people, which is also a passion of mine. And... Um, you know, get out here and talk to kids. I go back to my neighborhood all the time. I let them know, hey, it's okay to work in this field. You can do a lot of good. You can help a lot of people. And, and what is the reception from the kids when you when you do pull up and, and you talk to them? Are they are, are when, they I, when I go out there and talk to them? Yeah, yeah. Like, are they surprised that an officer, you know, is cool and would do that? Or are, are they a bit apprehensive? Like, uh-oh, it's the cops. Like, how, how do they react? Um, A lot of it, it's mixed. It just depends on where you go. I, I love the challenge of going out and talking to them because for the little kids, man, I, I try and make it fun for them. Um, I learned from a lot of awesome teachers at Mitch Elementary when I was working there. And so I incorporate some of those um, different approaches to keeping the kids engaged and making, you know, teaching them about fun and interactive. So they don't really ever, like, see me as the police. They see me as somebody that makes them laugh, somebody that makes them smile and leaves them with a sticker and a good interaction. Um, but when I go to the high schools, that's when I have the kids sitting in the front row with their arms crossed, you know, like, I'm not trying to hear what you're saying. But by the time I get done talking to them and I put things in a way that they can understand and they can, they can see themselves possibly being in those situations, uh, I give them tips on how to, you know, make the right choices so they don't get caught up. Yeah. And once I leave, those kids that have those, their arms folded and, you know, they were shut down at the beginning, man, those are the main ones trying to take pictures and, you know, asking me to come back. And those are the ones I normally follow up with and mentor. 
Yeah, see, we <laughs> we need more uh, officers like that because, you know, when when you meet them where they are or you speak their language, like, yes, they will, you know, open up. You know, I remember, you know, growing up having relationships with the officers in the neighborhood because at that time, um, the officers actually lived in said neighborhood I don't, I don't know if they particularly patrolled um that neighborhood but uh the officers were around and they were like you know daily or every other day you know checks or where they riding by and they speaking and so it was more of a um it, it, it was more of a you know community uh you know, public uh, relations relationship uh, with the officers versus when the uh, military complex of policing before that came into play. And it was just rah, 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 you know, kind of, you know, yeah. by the book. So I, I, I remember when the officers would, would be in the hood and, and you know, and, and speaking and talking to the kids versus how we kind of have seen it in the last 20 years or so. Yeah. And, and I, I, when I was an officer, man, on the Southwest side, and then when I promoted and went to Greenspoint and now as a community service, uh, supervisor, man, I always have had the belief that, man, you shouldn't only have, uh, interaction with people when they call 911 and they have an emergency. Right. Like when you're not running calls, like get out, go to the corner stores, get out, go in the barbershop, go in the salons, and just really chop it up with people. Like you said, meet them where they are. And that will open up the dialogue and that will, you know, open, you know, improve on the relationship and make people comfortable enough to talk to you when you do have an investigation in the area and you're a familiar face and you do need information. But it's just about, you know, letting people know, hey, you know, I do work in the field where I have to enforce the law, but we're still human at the end of the day. And I can come and chop it up with you and have a conversation about sports, just like the next person. No doubt. You listen to the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. We're talking to Sergeant Jeremy Lahar. Uh, his book, Officer Friendly, out right now. And uh, about to touch on uh, another venture uh, that he has. So I understand you have founded the Houston Prestige Project, which is a uh, your nonprofit organization. Um, tell us about the Houston Prestige Project. Yes, sir. Uh, the Houston Prestige Project was, was founded in 2017 um, by myself, and I have the help of uh, two of you know my close friends. And it's funded by donations and uh, just really, you know, partnerships around the Houston area. And it was created to mentor uh, young at-risk youth, young men from the ages of 8 to 18, um, and just, you know, following up with them and providing uh, a positive male figure for them to give them guidance so that they don't have to figure things out on their own. Because unfortunately, I did grow up uh, in a single parent household. And I feel like a lot of things that I had to figure out from the neighborhood, uh, a man should have been there to teach me. So I feel like it's, you know, my, it's aligned with my purpose for me to get out here and make sure that I'm doing that for these other kids. Because I may say something to them. They may not listen to me every time I talk to them. But if I say something on Wednesday that uh, they can recall a year from now that may make them make the right decision in a bad situation, you know, that's what makes it worth it. So from your uh, perspective and with dealing with 
these boys from 8 to 18. First of all, you know, hats off to y'all. Shout out to y'all for that because, boy, during that age, especially from like 13, from like 12 to about 16, 17, woo, they, they, they something else. So from your perspective, how are our young men uh, from 8 to 18? What do from your perspective, what is their mindset like? How how do they uh, respond to uh, discipline or just, you know, somebody being there? Like, what, what have you experienced with dealing with this particular age group? Man, um, it, 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 you know, it really depends on the child. Um, it's a really influential age. That's why we kind of chose to focus on that because um, there are a lot of different factors that are going on, or going on in those at-risk areas that can make those kids, you know, either go left or go right. And so I really took it hard when I first started because I felt like I, I wanted to reach every kid and I wanted to change every kid. And I was, you know, talked to, I was blowing the face with them during our one-on-one uh, mentor sessions. And then I felt like it would go in one ear and out the other. And I had to understand that, you know, you're not going to be able to reach every kid every time. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to put forth the same energy. You know, some kids are more receptive than others. Some kids, you see them, you know, putting to practice the things that y'all talk about. Um, but for the most part, man, they just want consistency. They don't want you to just pop up, say you're going to do something, and then not follow through. It's about consistency and accountability. And if you're there for them, like, you know, someone may not be there for them that should be there for them, that's where the trust is built, and that's where you'll start seeing that, that those positive changes. Is there a um, a certain time where you all are accepting um, young boys to be a part of the Houston Prestige Project? Is that is, is it open year round, or is there a certain time where uh, they can sign up? Uh, mostly, it's done through referrals. So uh, I have I, I kind of foster different relationships with different councils around the city of Houston, or people see me on social media, and they have young men that they think will be. Um, a good fit or they feel like that young man may need a little help or they could use the guidance. That's kind of how it's found. Um, and then as you know, as we have those relationships with them, whether that be high school or middle school, that's when we determine, uh, you know, who we're going to give scholarships to. Like last year, uh, we were, you know, fortunate enough to provide three high school seniors with a thousand dollar scholarship. Um, you know, so that they could, one of them was going to a trade school and then the other two were going to college. Uh, so, like I said, it's word of mouth and uh, through referral for right now because I, I worked for a large nonprofit before I went into law enforcement. And, you know, while I learned a lot, that's not really my goal. My goal is more to be more um, intimate, more of an intimate so that we can really follow up with them and let them know that we care. I love that. And uh, and your humility, like I could just feel that energy just like the, the la- just like last year when we were um, talking. You know, you. You do a lot, man, and um, I feel like that should be, you know, spotlighted. Tell us about um, the other things that you were involved in, um, i.e. the Badges and Bears Project or the Senior Citizens Interaction Program, like all of those, your your podcast, like, (laughs) you're doing it, Sergeant. No, I appreciate it, man. I I, I would be remiss if I didn't first... um, say give a shout out to Ebenezer United Methodist Church and Pastor Henderson and all of the congregation. That's why I grew up going to church at the Wood, and we were uh, fortunate enough to partner with her um, before back to school 
uh, in August, and we did a Kicks, Cuts, and Curls uh, uh, event where we provided 50 kids with a, a new pair of shoes, haircuts, got their hair done, uh, uniforms, and school supplies. Um, so I definitely wanted to say thank you to her while I had the chance. And then as far as the other things that you, you talked about, man, I, I just, I've been blessed to have, um, you know, supervisors and people at within the HPD who believed in, uh, some of the ideas that I came up with, man. Um, badges and bears came from my sister who passed away in 2013 and just me remembering how I would go and see her every day when she had a double lung transplant and how the only people she would see would be me my mom, her husband, and the doctor's poking on her. And I just remember walking, I believe, you know, God talks to all of us, we just have to listen, right? I feel like he put the idea in my head to go back as an officer and be um, a bright spot for kids and, and, you know, take a bear for them and make them an honorary police officer and hopefully take their mind off of whatever it is that they may be going through temporarily so that, you know, they're not seeing those doctors and their family members uh, every day. It's, it's, it's a, uh, a friendly face that's going to color with them, play video games with them, and hopefully make them smile. For sure. And um, I'm anxious to know what do you do for you? I mean, you put so much into the community, into your job, into your family. Um, what does Sergeant Lahar do for him to decompress uh, the, the, the self care um, to recharge and to continue to be a distributor of, of love? What do you do for you? Man, I appreciate you asking that. I, 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 I'm like I said, I, I love family. I, I came from a small one, me, my mom and my sister. So uh, I've been blessed to have a beautiful wife and, and uh, two beautiful daughters and a son. And so I just love you know, spending time with them, going out in the, on the, on the, in the driveway, working with my son on basketball drills and stuff like that. And then just working out, man, I love working out, um, you know, in the morning before work. And then I'm a big sports fan. I'm a Texans fan, Rockets fan. Um, I'm a homer. So I love watching sports. I'm, I'm a simple person, man. I, I love traveling with my wife. So it, it, don't, it don't take much to make me happy. Yeah, yeah. Travel is always good when you can go somewhere and, and, and plant your feet on, you know, some other ground because it's different energies all over, you know, the country, all over the world uh, when you travel. Yes, so, that, so that's good. So I'm, I'm glad that you create balance and, and, and take the time off of you because, you know, some, a lot of times humans will put so much into what it is that they have going and forget to pour back into themselves and i always try to remind folks like look you got to recharge you got to do something that makes you happy because you can't pour from an empty cup and you keep you know if you keep giving and giving and giving and not taking the time to take care of you you ain't gonna be no good to nobody and your body gonna let you know and then you might end up somewhere in some hospital bed because you ain't took that break and your body let you know like hey simmer down now so um, i'm glad to hear that because you know self-care is important you know we've been programmed to think that we got to just keep going and going and going and going and going and it's just like no like take care of yourself self-care is not selfish putting yourself first is not selfish that's a that's a pump fake like so yes, sir. i'm glad yes, sir. To and I, I had to learn that the, i had to learn that the hard way man i ain't gonna sit here and act like i just had that figured out that came with age <laughs> 
They came with age and, and wisdom and, and understanding, you know, like you just said, that you do have to take care of yourself. But I feel like, you know, I feel like you and myself and, and a few other people that may listen to this are fortunate enough to feel like they're working within them purpose, right? I feel like we all have a purpose in life and mine is, I, I'm definitely a servant and, um, you know, doing what I do for HPD and doing what I do outside of HPD, it doesn't feel like it works. And before I know it, like you said, time has passed and I have to make sure that I am making time for myself because I'll just keep going, going and going because it doesn't feel like work. It's something that I would do for free. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Good, bro. Sergeant Jeremy Lahar, any any last words uh, for the people, what they should know, where they should go, what you got next? Like, what, what's goody? Yes, sir. Man, Um, just thank you for the opportunity to come back on again. I appreciate it, man. Thank you to everybody who supports the Houston Prestige Project. And thank you for everybody who's open-minded enough to let myself come and talk to them, uh, you know, for different public speaking engagements. Um, you said what's coming up next is um, the next book. Uh, my, my, my illustrator is, is working on it right now. God willing, it'll, uh, it'll drop uh, at the beginning of next year, and it'll be uh, officer-friendly takes on gun safety. So I'm looking forward to, to getting that out, you know, into the world and in front of these babies' faces so that they can learn and know what to do if uh, faced with that situation. We will definitely be looking forward to Officer Friendly Takes on Gun Safety. Ladies and gentlemen, Sergeant Jeremy Lahar, the author of Officer Friendly and the founder of the Houston Prestige Project. Bro, I, I, I hear you. He, he on the beat, but he ain't on the beat. So I appreciate you taking your time out as you, you know, help keep us safe in these H-Town streets uh, to talk to the people. So thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you again, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. And for everyone listening, we will see you next week.